appetite with a preparation in us. That God get us ready for the work. And when he gets our hearts and our minds ready for the work, then he'll show us the work. He'll show us the work. And a lot of times in our lives, what we get stuck on is this, self. We get stuck on ourselves. We get stuck worried about me and my life. And the scripture says, my life is hid in who? In Christ, in him. And if I will allow my life to be hid in him, I'll really discover real life. But I have to allow that. I have to allow Christ to really be my life and the purpose for which I live. Jesus. Why is that? Let me ask you this question. Did you choose him or did he choose you? Did you choose him or did he choose you? I want you to understand something. In all of our lives, we were so busy about living, we weren't thinking about God. But while we were yet being formed in our mother's womb, God was thinking about us. And God knew the very day in which you were going to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And as we explore that next month, we're going to understand a little bit more because God doesn't only listen to the mouth, he hears the heart cry. And the issue really comes down that God chooses us. For he says, many are chosen, but few are, what? Are called. Turn me to John 15, 16. Our main text is going to be in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. But in John 15, because I want to start off because this is what takes place even in David's life. And, 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 and David gives heed to it. And he uses the word a couple of times in the text that we're going to be looking at. But in verse 16 of John 15, he says, you did not choose me. So he makes it very clear. You didn't wake up one morning and just say, oh, Lord, today I'm going to make you my God. You didn't wake up saying, oh, Lord, today I'm just going to make you my master. You ought to be pleased with my decision. I'm going to choose you. That didn't happen. But somewhere along life, the journey of life, God really called you and chose you and chose you. I like what Bill Cosby says. His children are arguing with him and his wife one day. And the child quickly said, I wish I had never been born in this family. And the mother quickly replied, you can believe I didn't choose you. (laughs) 
But God chose us. Knowing everything about us. Knowing the work he would have to do in our lives. He chose us. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. The bearing of the fruit is the task that he's going to give you, the, the work you're going to do. That whatever that is, is going to be fruitful and bring glory to the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says, I chose you. I chose you. Go to 1 Chronicles 28. We're going to do 28 and 29. They kind of run together. It's a transitional time for David. It's a transitional time which David is passing, in a sense, the kingship on over into Solomon's hand. But not only just the kingship, it is the building of the temple also. Now, what I want to draw from this is this. I want to draw certain principles. And those principles, I believe, are of God. And those principles transcend time. They transcend time based on this fact. God is not a respecter of person. What God has done for one, he can do for another. Oftentimes we can take the Old Testament, and I understand the Old Testament when it says, uh, well, that was applied to Israel. Yes, it was. That's not saying God cannot do it again. If we only apply it to Israel, I can come in the New Testament and say, well, that was only applied to the people in the church of Ephesus. That only applies to the church in Colossians. That only applied to this, if we want to get that technical. The thing is to look at what God does. I always try to teach my kids, look for the thread that God weaved through. Because based on this, God says he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he changes not. And that's about his word and himself and character and his principles. And therefore, I think what we read just a moment ago in John 15, 16, where God said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I think we can find that to be true all the way through scripture. Adam didn't choose God, but God chose who? Yeah. We can say that about Moses. Moses didn't choose God, but God chose who? We can say that about a Joshua. We can say that about a Daniel. We can come all the way down through and we can see this choosing that God constantly does in choosing people. And going into 2014, what I want you to leave here with is this here. God has chose me for a purpose in 2014. God has chosen me for a purpose. God has chosen me. And I want you to understand something. You're chosen. You're not chosen just to be a football player. Amen. You're chosen to be more than that. Amen. 
We're all chosen to be more than what we think we are. Two things I'm going to put on the board, and then I want you to ask if it's true or not as we go through this whole time together this morning, if these two things are true. The first one, where God guides, God will provide. Do you really believe that? If God was to call you to go to Africa, would he provide for you there? Yeah. Wherever God takes you in life, God will always provide for you if that's his will for you to be there. You ever want to do a very important study for yourself in the scripture? Study the word there. Why? When you look at that word there and God says be there, that's exactly what God is saying. Be there. But Elijah, when he told him to be at the brook chair, to be there, the raven would come and feed him. He had to be where? Couldn't be somewhere else. Had to be exactly there at that point, that place. Wherever God guides you in life, you have to ask one question. Is God guiding me? And really answer that truthfully in your own heart. Nobody else can answer that question for you. And if God is guiding you there to that place, then God is obligated to provide for you. If you're in the center of God's will and you're being obedient to God, God is the one then who is obligated to provide for you. Now, if you go off on your own, remember this. When you're on your own, God is not obligated to you. Now, that's the difference between blessings and mercy. But whenever... You are guided by God, and God is leading. I don't care how blink it may look, how dark it may look. God's going to provide. You could be in the dungeon, but you got to ask, God, did you place me here? <laughs> What's the reason? Yeah. What's the reason? The gentleman that used to come here, him and his wife, remember about maybe a year ago he committed suicide? God put me in the hospital next to him in his bed just to share with him. Never knowing that he was going to commit suicide. But yet, standing back there and sharing with me, Gus, you will never know what all you've done for me. God puts us in places in life sometimes we don't like to be. And what we got to ask, God, is this your will for me? And if it is, guess what? Even in that worst place, God will what? Yes. He'll provide. Second one. Whom God chooses, he'll use. Whom God chooses, 
he'll use. If God, and you can answer honestly and say to yourself, God, you've chosen me. The second question is that is now this here. How do you want to use me? Because if God has really chosen you, he really desires to use you. There's no use of us going through the fruit of the spirit, the body function and how the body function and all this other stuff biblically and all we're going to do is come and sit. Because if God has chosen you, God's going to use you. Now understand this, and we're going to see this in scripture. It may not always fit exactly what you want to do. And we're going to see that about David. For David said, I had it in my heart. And it's okay to have things in our hearts that we want to do for the Lord. But then we have to separate that even though it's a good intention, even though it's a good desire, the question is this, is that God's will for me? And it was not God's will for David to build the temple. But it was in David's heart to do that. You following me? And David knew this. David knew he was chosen. First Chronicles 28. Come on down to verse 2 with me. David calls this whole assembly, he, he, he called all his officers, all his leaders, all his officials together. And picking up in verse 4, he says, Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me. He chose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you, David. And David confessed to that. And he says to the group, God chose me. Now at times it's important for you to be able to say to yourself, God chose me. Because see, nobody else will understand sometimes what you're doing. And, this, and that's okay that other people can be confused about your life. The issue is this here. You know about your life. You know about your relationship with the Lord. You know what you're doing. That's what's important. And David said, you chose me. You chose me. From my whole family. Now just think about it for a moment. Who was David in his family? Where was David at? <laughs> he the last one. He down there the young. He out there doing the sheep, and the other brothers think they're doing something off with war with Saul and everything. And David's taking care of the sheep. Even when Samuel comes to look for the one that he supposed to anoint, he goes through all the brothers. And finally he asked the father, is this all that you have? And he says what? 
there's one out there watching the sheep. Bring that one in. And that's the one that was anointed. David. That's the one that God chose. And David says, of all my family, God chose me to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader and from the house of Judah the choice to choose my family and from my father's son. He was pleased to make me king over all Israel of all my sons. And the Lord has given me many. Now listen. He has chosen my son Solomon. He's chosen my son Solomon. Again, the Lord is doing what? He's doing the choosing. He's doing the choosing. Come on down with me in the verse 9 and 28. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly. Devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every what? Every motive, every thought behind the thoughts. Catch what he says now. If you seek him, he will be found of you. Well, if he chose me, why I got to seek him? He chose me. Why I got to go running after him? He chose me. Your desire to do his will shows by your intentional desire to run after him. And what you're saying to God, God, I really want to know your will. Lord, I want to know your will. Lord, I want to know your will. There's that running after the Lord. Now, if you're not willing to run after the Lord, the Lord knows you do not really have a heart for him. Now, understand this, young lady, same thing, same principle. If a young man not willing to run after you, he don't really have a heart for you. You need to understand that. Let the young man run after you too. Don't go chasing after no man. If you do, he's just going to make a fool out of you. Because he's going to say, look what I got. Man. But when you let him run after you, now you are the one who really do the choosing. It's strange. When you allow yourself to run after something, what you're saying, my heart is there. I want this. I desire this. And that's what God wants to see in us. That we're willing to run after him, that we desire him, we want him. And we really want to know his will. And he says to us something, if you seek him, You'll find him. 
If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you really seek him. And in 2014, I hope you have a heart to seek after God. To really seek after him. And if you really seek after him, you'll discover him in a new way. You'll see him completely different. If you really seek after him and desire him and want to know his perfect will. Come on over with me. Drop down into verse 20 in chapter 28. A couple of things that David's going to say to Solomon. And I think for us, we can take these same statements because it's not only said here, it's said also to Joshua. When you go to Joshua 1 and verse 5, it's telling Joshua, be strong in the Lord. And you find that word being encouraged throughout the scripture. Be strong in the Lord. But David is giving this principle to his son too. I don't care what you're going to face in 2014. Make it up in your mind. You're going to be strong in the Lord. I don't care what happens to you in 2014. Be strong in the Lord. I don't care what disappointments you may go through. Be strong in the Lord. I don't care what riches you may gain. Be strong in the Lord. Don't allow nothing to separate you from God. Be strong in the Lord. So he, in that verse 20, he says, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. The word strong is to attach to something and hold to it. You grab it and nothing causes you to let go of it. You grab it and you wrestle with it and you tussle with it. You don't let it go. You overcome it. You stay with it until you have victory. That's that word strong there. You bind yourself to it. And he says, be strong in the Lord. And then he says, be courageous. Be courageous. And he goes on, he says, and do the work. Now, we have a whole culture today that is scared of what? We don't like the word work. And yet the very first thing God gave to Adam was work. Because God knew work was good for him. Work is one of the best things for men. If we work, we don't have to worry about this. When we work and work hard, our bodies stay healthy. There's something about work. And when we focus our mind on work, it educates us. It's surprising how much you learn when you are willing to work. And he says, hey, do the work here. Now, the work here is going to be building that temple. You got to direct. You got to be sharp. 
You got to be mentally sharp. And that's the word courageous there. That you are mentally sharp and aware of what's going on. Be strong, be mentally alert, and do the work. Don't allow work to frighten you. The church on a whole, the reason we're in such a mess that we are in, in our culture and society, and everything about it, is because we're scared to work. The reason the church has so many needs within the church is because the people in the church were scared to what? Now understand this here. Satan can get you busy doing a lot of other things, but the main thing. And that's the work of the Lord. And David says to Solomon, don't be afraid of the work. Bind yourself to it. Be alert to it. Be mentally aware of it. And do the work. He goes on and he says, do not be afraid. Now, oftentimes when work is there, we're afraid to work. Oh, I can't do that. That's too hard. That's too difficult. Oh, I need some help. Don't worry about it. If you need help, whose job is it to get the help there? If God gave you the work to do, he's going to give you the help you need. Now, understand this. Sometimes the help may not come from the family that you're expecting it to come from. It's coming from a total stranger, but God's sending it. God will provide if you're willing to do the work. God will meet every need. That's just a basic principle of God. Whenever God in scripture assigned a task to somebody, God always had to help them. Even with Moses, how hard is it to hold your hands up? But, God, but holding them up for hour after hour, it becomes what? And God gave him two men just to help do what? Yeah. That's all. When Moses needs about, he had a Joshua. When Paul needed somebody, he had a Timothy. God will always provide. And when Jesus, he had two close ones. Peter and John. God always provides. Don't ever be fearful. You're going to be stuck doing the work what? By yourself. And always remember this. You and God make a majority. You and God spells victory. You and God said, I'm an overcomer. And he says, don't be afraid of it. It is a huge what? It's a huge task. It's a great thing that you're being asked to do. And sometimes we're fearful because what we look at is the task that God is giving to us. And we say, it's too much for us. Look at our little size. Look, I can't do that. But again, look at Goliath and look at a David. Look at it. Look at a Goliath and look at a David. And really take a good look at that. 
way. Because the reality is this here. God is never looking at our size. He's looking at our heart. He's looking at our obedience and he's looking at our faith. David knew this. God allowed me to slay what? A bear. God allowed me to protect the sheep. God allowed me to slay the lion. He allowed me to protect the sheep. And who is this Philistine that thinks he will come against Jehovah and I can't slay him? Never look at your size with God. Always look at your faith in your heart. Not your size. Look at your faith in your heart. You know, God showed us something just a couple weeks ago with all these coats. If God intended us to give out all those coats that came here, that would have took place here. God knew where he wanted those coats to go. And it's strange how God, and we forget that this sovereign God, he orchestrates things. Things don't happen by luck or by chance. It's by God orchestrating. So here we with over 300 coats. I think we may have had a dozen people, if that many, that came in. And they just loaded the bags up with coats, and they took as many as they wanted, and that, that was fine. Then Ken came in and said a woman told him, about another church is having a coat day. And we got in the car and you heard it last week that we went over there and there were lines of people. So the coasts were not really intended to be here. We were just an instrument used by God because the other church didn't know anything about the other church. God just used us as a byproduct to bring them here. Then we take them there. And people were waiting in line to get coats. Because God orchestrated. Now, we could have said, no, we're going to give these coats out. No, we ain't going to share them with nobody. No, this is a... When you allow yourself to be a channel of blessing, you'll be surprised how God will use you. Amen. And never be afraid of the work that he sets before you. Because it never stops just with you. But he gives you that point. Don't be afraid. Be strong, be courageous, and don't be afraid. But then he goes on and he says, or oh, discouraged. How many of you start into something and quickly get discouraged? Before 2014 starts, January 1, you're going to be discouraged and your whole year is going to go downhill. And you're going to allow whatever happens on that first day of January 1, 2014, to discourage you for the rest of the year. And that's going to bother you the rest of the year. As God's people, we should never be discouraged. Amen. When something happens, we ought to be willing to say, okay, God's holding me up. Because sometimes we're moving too fast. And we think we're going to get ahead of God. And God will cause something to happen to stop us in our tracks. And sometimes he has to remind us, hey, you're following me. I'm not following you. And things are going to happen. Because the way we plan them sometime, everything don't just run off what? Perfectly. And he says, when you hit a bump in the road, don't be discouraged. 
When you hit a detour, don't be discouraged. When this happens in your life, don't be discouraged. You just keep what? Pushing on. That's all. Don't get discouraged. Remember who you are working for. Remember who you serve. And remember who chose you to do the task. Don't be discouraged. Now, he says, now, don't be discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. How many of you have that thought? When it gets hard and it gets tough and it gets a little dark out there and, and, and nobody really wants to be on your side, how many of you say, the Lord is with me? See, I don't worry about what people call me. Like I tell some men, you don't have to call me pastor. That's all right with me. That ain't no big thing with me. Why? I know who I am. I know what God has called me to do. I don't worry about if you get upset with me. That's okay. Eh? And you can choose. All that stuff is okay. Why? God is with me. Now, when you're having trouble figuring out if God is with you, is when you really get upset <coughs> over what people do to you. Show me in Scripture where Christ is really upset about what people did to him. Because you need to understand this. When you do what is right and what's in God's will, people will be upset with you. Doing what is right is not the norm in this society in which we live. Telling people the truth is not the norm in this society in which we live. Trying to give godly advice to people is not the norm in this society in which we live. So when you are trying to live godly and carry out God's purpose or God's assignment for you, don't be upset when people get rattled by you and want to chew you out, understand this. God is with you. God's with you. God's with you. And he says, hey, son, remember this. My God is with you. Now, he makes a little turn here, too. Don't be discouraged. The Lord, God, my God is with you. He moves from, in a sense, Solomon now to God. He said, he will not fail you. You catch that? If my God is with you, he will not what? Yeah. Now, if there's a lot of failure here, you need to take a step back and say, God, are you really with me in this? Are we on the same page? When too many negative things begin to happen, too many doors are shut, too much opposition comes there that you have to handle, not God. See, the difference is when opposition comes and God handles it, you're still moving forward. But when opposition comes and you've got to battle with it and battle with it and battle with it, then you better check and see, God, are you here? And he says, my God will not fail you. 
One of the things about always taking on a work or a task or doing something that we believe God would have us to do, we always look at this point. Can we do it? That should be the last thing the Christian really look at. Can I do it? You all go right back to what Paul says. I can do nothing in and of what? Of myself. Because if it's you that's going to do it, it's going to be a failure. And you need to understand that. If you're the one doing it, then it's a failure. If you're the one at work at it, then you're the failure. You're the one. Hey. And you need to take note of that. Hey. But if God is leading and guiding and instruction, David says, you won't fail. It, don't, it doesn't mean, hey, we have to stop a moment. It doesn't mean we, have, we won't have to slow up. It won't mean we're not going to hit a bump in the road. But he says, you're not going to fail. In 2014, make up your mind. I'm going to walk with God and I'm not going to fail. Amen. Make up your mind. I'm going to draw close to the Lord and I'm not going to fail. Because my God is with me. My God is with me. And I'm not going to fail. He goes on a little again. He says, I'm not sure God. He will not fail you or forsake you. The times will get hard. There will be difficulties. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be tests and trials. But you're not forsaken. And we need to understand that difficulties help us in our faith. They can be challenging to us, but they build our faith. And you need to understand difficulties drive you to prayer. But he says, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to assign you something and then run away from you. I'm not going to tell you to do something and leave you there all by yourself to do it. I'm going to be an ever-constant present helper there with you. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to forsake you. He goes a little bit further and he says, I will not forsake you until the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. How long will the Lord stay with you? Until that task is what? Is finished. Until that work is done. God has obligated himself that if he assigns you a task, he's going to be right there with you all the way through it. And he's not going to fail you. And he's not going to forsake you. He's going to help you complete it and finish it. Now, when you get down into chapter 29, you have to begin to understand something. Because oftentimes, we're always saying to the Lord, Lord, do this for who? Do it for me. Lord, do this for me. Do that for me. When the last time you asked the Lord, Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, Lord? And everything about our lives ought to be for who? For the glory of the Lord. 
But whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it for that purpose, for his glory and for his praise. And I need to start off 2014 by simply making that statement to the Lord. Lord, 2014, I wanted to glorify you. I want my life to glorify you. Everything I do, Lord, I want it to be about you and for your glory. In 29, 1, it says, and talk about you young folks here for a moment. And um, today it's kind of hard to encourage our young folks. But one of you ushers, we got two young people somewhere in a room. Would y'all check these rooms, make sure nobody's in the rooms? They need to be in here. It says, then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has, look at, look at the word again, chosen. That God's chosen. Is young and what? Yeah. Young and inexperienced. Young and inexperienced. Stand on up here. Yes, sir. Uh, boy, don't it look well? Amen. And you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to intentionally embarrass you either. All right. Okay? All right. But I am going to do that. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what word would you like to be called? A youngster? A, a teenager? Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It don't, it don't matter. Uh-uh. So I can call you a little boy. No. <laughs> you just said it didn't matter. <laughs> I mean, like whatever the teenager, that's in that range, the teenager range. Okay. Yeah. So out on the streets, what do y'all call each other? Uh, bros, yeah. Huh? Bros. Thugs. Bros. Roads. Bro. 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 What's a bro? A friend. A friend. Okay. See, when we look at him, though, we use other little words, too. A young man. A young man. There's a couple of young men. They're not quite what? Men, but they're, but they see themselves as what? Don't have no home. Don't have no money, really. Don't pay no rent. Don't know. Don't have one electric water bill, gas bill coming in their name. Well, I'm getting a lot of help. <laughs> but want to be identified as a what? Yes. Yes. And yet have a long way to go before he's a what? And that's what David is referring to about Solomon, to the ones who are going to help. Because oftentimes we say he's inexperienced. So I put a hammer in his hand and say, we're going to build a home. Okay. But inexperienced. <laughs> Don't look like you did it. 
It'd be love, it'd be just like me trying to get on that computer. <laughs> Go ahead, sit down. But the thing about this young man, what he's saying, he's young and what? And when you're young and inexperienced, you'll take off and do things that are going to be what? That can be harmful to you. That can be hurtful to you. Okay. Follow me a little further. My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because the plateau structure is not for man, but for who? Now, I, I, I want you to catch the picture here. Paul has this great assembly before him, all his officers, leaders, and so forth before him. And he brings his son up and he says, yes, God has chosen him to be king. And some of, some of you, I understand, you're older than he is. You're wiser than he is. You have more wealth than he does. And he says he's young and inexperienced. But he says, what I want you to catch is this, though. Though the task is falling upon him, God has given him, you, to help him with the task because the task is great. Yes, he's young. Yes, he's inexperienced. But that is not the excuse that we use. The issue is this here. Has God chosen him? See, God can use little Mark to speak wisdom to us. God can use one of these young ladies to speak wisdom to us. The issue is, have God chosen? Oftentimes in the church, we just go by age. And he says, God has chosen this young man who is young and inexperienced to do this great task. And what David is saying to this great crowd is this, he's going to need your help. He's going to need your help. Come on down with me a little further. Because this is where we lose sight of. It's not about the person who the task has been assigned. It's about what the task is about. And he goes on, he says, it's not for man, but it's for the Lord. If we will understand the work that is before us, it's not the work of Pastor Brown. It's not the work of the deacon, the elders. It's not the work. It is the work of who? Of the Lord. And it's for who? For the Lord. We get hung up. I'm doing this for. No. And he bypassed time. He says, this is for the Lord. And oftentimes we get stuck on, no, if I do this, I'm going to be helping him. No, if I'm doing this. I'm just going to give him some gratitude or plat him or help build up his little ego. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the elder. It's not even about the denomination that you're in. It's about the Lord. Verse 2, he says, With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver work. And what he comes down to is that he's given everything. Now what he does is this. He takes the lead. 
He takes the lead. Men in your homes, if you want your children to really follow you, take the lead. If you're a single mother, take the lead. You got to set the example. If you're the leader of that group, you're the leader in your home. You're the leader at the job. Take the lead. And he says, in verse 3, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures, gold, silver, for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. And he goes all the way down through what he's given. Now, because of his example and because of what he's doing, look what David challenges the others with. And this is what has to happen in church life, in family life. This is what has to happen even in the life of a married couple. This is what has to happen in between partners even. When you're in partnership in business. Whenever people agree upon something, this is what has to happen. In verse 5 he says... For the gold work and for the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, you've heard everything that I'm doing. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? You catch it? Who is willing? Because see, each and every one of you have to make your own Go before the Lord. Each one of you have to say for 2014, Lord, this is what I'm willing to do. And are you willing to consecrate yourself to be a vessel fit for God's use for 2014? Put everything else to the side and be willing to say to the Lord in 2014, Lord, you're first. I'm giving it all to you. All my gold, my silver, all my ambitions, everything about me, Lord, I'm placing it in your hands. If you're not willing to place yourself in God's hand, then you're going to deal with yourself. But when you're willing to commit yourself into God's hands and do God's work, then God becomes obligated to you to provide all that you have need of. And he's promised that he will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He will stay with it until the task is finished. The issue is, are you willing to consecrate yourself? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to say, Lord, I give myself to you? Remember that song that we sang sometimes? I give myself away. Are you willing to give yourself away to the Lord? You give yourself to a lot of things. You give yourself to a lot of things in this world. But are you really giving yourself to the Lord? Come on down with me in verse 9. Look what takes place because of what David does. The people rejoiced at the willing response 
of their leaders. For they had given freely, wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, always rejoiced greatly. The people rejoiced. And when David saw the response of the people, he rejoiced. At that moment, they're all doing what? Rejoicing. Now remember, the task is still hard. The task is still difficult. The finances David is trying to raise here, yet for the temple. Though much has been given already, timber has been given, gold has been given from other countries, from other places. But the task is great. When you consecrate yourself, and you're willing to give yourself to the Lord, I've said it over and over, he'll provide for you. David begins to praise the Lord, and look what he says in verse 12. I'm cutting things short, but it's two great chapters for you to go back and read and really let the Lord speak to you on. Because in 2014, any of your wealth, anything you gain, is going to come from who? Yes. We often forget the one who provides for us and give us wealth or give us anything in abundance of what we need is the Lord. Look at verse 12. Wealth, but look what always comes with it to a certain degree for the Christian. Wealth and honor comes from you. Wealth and honor he gives you wealth, but he gives you integrity. He gives you uprightness. Wealth and honor comes from you, David says. You are the ruler of all things, and in your hands are strength and power. Guess all that David's saying? My wealth comes from you. My honor comes from you. My inner strength comes from you. My outer power to act comes from you. It all comes from him. After David goes through that and he exalts the Lord, when you get to 14, David now somehow is waking up. When I say waking up, it's not that David's sleeping or in a dream. But David takes a human thought. And he asked this question. And the question when God has really been good to us, we all ask this question. When God has done more for us than what we have expected, we all come to this point and we ask this question. Who am I? Who am I? The other day I celebrated my birthday and I just looked around. And I had to say, who am I, Lord? Roger and I, sometime in the truck, we would explore that question. Lord, who am I that you would have blessed me with this and with that, and you've done this for me and done that for me? Who am I? What makes you so different than the poorest person that you might know of? 
Who am I that I should possess the things that I possess? Who am I that I should have the name that I have? The integrity that I would have? Or the respect that others give? Who am I? Who am I that people would look upon me this way? Who am I? And then David's next question, who are these people, Lord, that you respect them in such a manner or would do that? Now, now pause for a moment. David, an adulteress. Who am I? David, a murderer. Who am I? A David, a deceiver. And writing a note and sending forth and so a, a deception. Who am I? Israel, the people who would chase after idols. Who am I? The people who would not be obedient, who are stiff-necked and rebel. Who am I? And we can say that here by the Akron Lions Fellowship. Who am I, Lord? Who are we? that you allow someone to come in and pay off our debt? Who are we that you would bless us in such a way that we could pay off the bill? Who are we, Lord, that you would give us a house in the back and pay it off in a few months? Who are we, Lord? Who are we and what are we that God would favor us in such manner in which he has favored? Who are we? Who are you that God has blessed you the way he's blessed you, has given you a roof with all your problems, yes, with a mortgage payment and all these other things. But yet, who are you that God would favor you with the little you have or the much that you have? Have you ever explored that? Who are you? And I hope that you can come back and say, I'm a chosen one of God. I'm one of the favorites of God. I'm one of the anointed of God. I'm one of the blessed of God. I'm one of the children of God. I'm one of the peculiar treasures of God. I'm one of the saints of God. I'm one of the followers of God. That you can come back to a very positive about who you are in Christ. And knowing that's the only reason you have what you have. And he simply says, who am I? And who are we? But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generous as this? Who are we? That we can do this. We're the smallest group of people on earth. And yet we have this huge task to perform. Who are we? Look how David answers in verse 15. We are aliens and strangers in your sight. As were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like shadows. Have you ever seen your shadow? And then you move is what? It's gone. That's life. Life is only here for a moment and then it's gone. And we're only strangers passing through this land. We're not going to be here for long. This is not where we're camping out at. 
And he goes on a little bit further. He says in verse 18, O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for the building you a temple for your holy name. Now catch what he's going to say. It comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. You see David putting it back in the right perspective? Though I gave the silver, though I gave the gold, though I give all that I have, all I did, Lord, it all belongs to who? You. couple of points I want to bring, and then we're going to end. Pick up in verse 17 with me. And this is vital here. If you don't catch nothing else, catch this. What David is going to say here. Because I think it's the principle for everything else that we basically read. I really believe in Scripture. If you honor God, God will honor you. I really believe if you lift up God, God will exalt you in due season. Those are just principles that I truly believe in. Hey. David somewhat is saying the same thing here. In verse 17, he says, I know my God that you test the what? Before you're going to be given the great task. And before God gives the provision, What's going to be tested? The heart. Your life. Because see, if you're not worthy to be his laborer, you're not going to be it. If you're not worthy to really bear his name, you're not going to bear it. And God says, I'm going to test your heart. Not that he don't already know your heart. Who doesn't know it? For the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it but who? And what God's going to reveal about you is your own heart to you. Do you really love me? Are you really going to stay with the task? Are you really going to do this? Because our mouths are quick to speak and yet our hearts are far from me. And he says... I know, my God, that you test the hearts and are pleased with integrity, with uprightness. You're pleased with that. So he's displeased with what? With the other. That which is not honest. That which is deceitful. That which is sinful. He's displeased with. He goes a little further. All these things have I given willingly. And with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here are giving to you. Catch 18. O Lord God of our father, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, or Jacob, keep this desire in the hearts of your people. Who's the only one who can keep that desire? To work for the Lord and love the Lord and people who want to do for the Lord. The only one who can keep your heart that way is the Lord. You can't even do it. 
And he says, Lord, keep the people's hearts right before you, that they're willing to do your will. He goes a little further. He says, and keep their hearts loyal to you. Because David understands something about the heart. It will stray. The mouth will say, I love you. But the heart is where? Far from you. And he deals with that. He deals with that. Keep their heart willing to serve you. Keep their hearts willing to give to you. Keep their hearts open to you. What you need to understand is this here. Satan, little by little by little, is trying to close your heart towards the things of God. And you'll get out there so far and you'll wonder where was the closeness. The same thing happens in marriage. If man doesn't keep his heart towards his wife and his wife alone, and he gets out here and mmm, 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 he wakes up and he wonders how did he get so far from the one he said he loves? And he says, Keep their hearts on fire for you. Keep their hearts burning for you. And we need to pray for each other this year. Lord, keep James's heart burning for you. Lord, keep Ken's heart on fire for you. Lord, keep Rascal's heart inflamed for you, desiring you. Keep Charles's heart running after you. We keep praying for each other. We pray for our young people to have that heart. And then he says, a heart that is loyal will not stray, but is steadfast for the Lord. And at the very end, he simply says, they bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord. They all prayed together. They all wept together. They all rejoiced together. I'm praying in 2014 as a church, we weep together, we cry together, we pray together, we rejoice together over the things that our God does through us. And that we understand and realize God has chosen us we may be small in numbers, but God has chosen us to do some great things. And sometimes you may not know it. Other churches are amazed at what this little church has done. Sometimes I look at churches and they're much older than we are. They haven't taken another step. They're in the same place they were 50, 60, 70 years ago. And the, yeah, they may be a lot larger now. But I'm still praying that this ground we're on right here will become our inner city campground. I'm still praying that John next door, as Tony next door to him is trying to convince him, give this land to the church that 
he'll give us the land that runs all alongside our property. That God's going to give us all this that we can fence it in and this becomes our inner city campground. That we'll have tennis courts over here. We'll have basketball courts over here. We'll have a soccer field back here. And we'll have a place where we can put tents at where the kids can come and we're going to be able to spend the night over because today a lot of kids cannot afford to go to a camp. But they can come here, spend a night or two nights or spend a day like day camp that this will become our campground. I'm still looking forward that God is going to bless us to break ground and build the new building up on East Avenue. I'm still looking for that. All the land is paid for, basically. We have one more building to pay for. That's the old McDonald's building. Got it down to $39,000. We're going to look to be able to knock most of that out. And by the end of 2015, starting in 2016, I'm going to look to be breaking ground. If God will do that, I'm just expecting God yet to do great things. And you say, well, is he going to do that with a few people? I don't look at the few people, I look at the greatness of my God. And he hasn't brought us this far to leave us. Because this is what I do know. From the day one of Akron Lions Fellowship, it has never been the people. It's been only by the grace of God. Why? he chose us to do what is being done and we will do it with all of our heart and he will do the providing let's pray Father we just thank you and praise you Lord that we can look to you for everything that we have need of and yes, Lord, we do call upon each other. David called the assembly together. And he asked them to give, oh God. But Lord, even like the church, Lord, in Corinthians 8, Lord, they first consecrated themselves before they gave. The Macedonians, they consecrated themselves to you. And then they gave. It's like what we spoke about last week about the three wise men or the magi. They fell down and they worshiped first and then they gave. That Lord, as we look to you and we worship you, you will do the providing that we can give and do everything that you have placed in our hearts to do.